Father DeRosa, welcome to St. Helens. Why don't we begin with a prayer, since I'll be talking about Lord's say three Hail Marys together. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Stephanie Campbell was saying, I, I was originally going to speak on Giuseppina. I like Giuseppina a lot, but. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about St. Bernadette, and we're right in the midst of the 150th anniversary of the apparitions. The first apparition was on February 11th, and the last one was on July 16th, so we're sort of in the, in the anniversary period, and so I thought it might be appropriate to talk about Bernadette for a couple reasons. I, um, I've got a, a great personal devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes and St. Bernadette, and I've been to Lourdes seven times so far, made seven pilgrimages. I think I attribute my vocation to my first pilgrimage there when I was out of college, not quite knowing what to do with my life, but um, I made this connection. When I went to seminary, I, I ended up at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, and there's this grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes there, you've probably been there. So um, I really love Lourdes, I'd just like to share some of that love with you about the Lady of Lourdes and the whole story which is very beautiful. Now, I did speak about this at the novena, which was held at Our Lady of Lourdes in Crystal City. Has it, was anyone at that? Did anyone already hear me talking? One. Okay. All right. That's not so bad. <laughs> I might change something. Too much. At, at any rate, uh, I imagine that you, you, everyone's familiar with the story of Lourdes to some degree or another. How many of you have been to Lourdes? Been there. And, and how many of you have seen the song Bernadette? <laughs> and there's another, there's two other movies out. One's called Bernadette, and the sequel is The Passion of Bernadette. They're French films. Has anyone seen those? No one's seen those. You have. They're very, they're very beautifully done. Um, films that were done in the 80s. If you go to Lourdes, they have a the Bernadette cinema there, and you can, they kind of, they're playing these movies over and over and over, and you can go and see them. Uh, it's, I highly recommend seeing that film. I think it's better than the song of Bernadette. Bernadette that's a classic, of course, but the, the new ones are more, uh, more accurate, I think. The song of Bernadette sort of conflates some characters and events and fits it all in there. The other ones are broken up into two, two full-length movies, so there's more time to fit in the details. It's called Bernadette. And it was Sydney Penny. I'll write that down. Sydney Penny's the actress. Sydney Penny. Bernadette. And the passion of Bernadette. You can read my writing. He's too hard. 
they also very beautifully depict the apparitions. You know, in the song of Bernadette, there's actually, you sort of see her lady, you know, they have an actress there dressed up like her lady glowing. You can't really do that, I don't think. So in the song, in the Passion of Bernadette, the new movie, you never see her lady. You just see Bernadette's face being illuminated, and the, the music score is very moving. And she just gets, the actress does a magnificent job. But, uh, at any rate, the last time I was in Lourdes was in uh, in the autumn. I, I was on sabbatical. The bishop gave me three months, and I had spent the month of that at Lourdes working as a confessor for the pilgrims. And so I really got to experience the place in a, in a new way. Hearing confessions there is revealing. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go into detail. But, <laughs> uh, but the point is I experienced that fast, that dimension of the healing that goes on at Lourdes. So Bernadette, the theme of these, these lectures is uh, icons of conversion, I believe. Uh, Bernadette didn't have this, this conversion experience, so you might wonder why, why Bernadette, how she would fit in here. And I thought about that, and, and I think a, a good answer is that she's, she's sort of the anchor for Lourdes, where people are converted continually, you know, and have had all these amazing experiences. You know, it's the most frequented shrine in the world. Six million people went there last year. Maybe more will go this year. Three times as many as go to Mecca from what I hear. So, Lourdes really draws people in. And not just Catholics go there either. It's interesting. I met nine Catholics there as well. Um, mostly Anglicans kind of have a devotion to Our Lady, some of them. Uh, but it's a place of deep spiritual healing. And, uh, you know, that in the end is more important than physical healing. But there are many miracles that happen there. And I think Lords get short tripped a lot of times because they'll say, well, there are, there are 67 miracles that the church has recognized. Well, in 150 years, 160, or 67 miracles doesn't seem that much. But there's really a lot more than that. It's just that the church has not been, been able to put its authority behind all the other miracles because it has to be absolutely certain. Okay, the church isn't going to stake its reputation on an alleged miracle. But there's a medical year at Lords established in the 1890s by a doctor named Dr. Guasari. He was a, a Parisian doctor who, who hadn't lost the faith, and he, uh, and he went to Lourdes twice on pilgrimage, and he was very moved by it, and, and, uh, and he thought well, this would be an important uh, component of this experience of Lourdes would be to have science there observing what's going on. So he established what's called the Medical Bureau. And what was happening is he would, uh, any pilgrims that wanted to submit themselves to the medical bureau for examination beforehand could do so. And he gathered you know, reams of evidence documenting the illnesses, the incurable illnesses of all thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the medical bureau has records of the instantaneous cures of over 7,000 people. It's an invaluable testament. This is a very interesting apparition. Because what it does is a direct attack against the rationalism of the, of the age. And in that period in France, uh, the rationalists were full of uh, self-conceit and, and euphoria, thinking they were on the, you know, it was the beginning of, of all these breakthroughs and everything like that. So they thought everything could be explained away by, by science. And then all of a sudden you have Lourdes. It was a real embarrassment for the rationalists of France. And the Dr. Boisseri was raised up by God to, to counteract that. So this medical bureau is very important. So as I said, there's over 7,000 documented cures associated with the Pilgrim's Lady of, of, of Lourdes. 
And, you know, I'd really say that number is low because every time you can't go to Lourdes or associate with people who've gone to Lourdes or have worked at Lourdes and not hear of the many miracles that are not documented. I mean, most people don't even know about them. How many of you heard about the Medical Bureau? A couple of you, yeah, okay. So most people don't. There's all these people going there. And I heard stories myself, you know, when I was there. People counting, you know, so I don't have it all documented. So I can't send it back to the Vatican, but you know, I don't doubt the people. One woman, I was sitting at a cafe having a coffee one afternoon, and a woman came up to me, and she was an Italian, and she said, Father, I've been coming to the Lord for 20 years. No, no, nine years. I've been coming to the Lord for nine years. My husband left me nine years ago. And I started coming to the Lord's, praying for, praying for my husband. And she said, this is my ninth year. And I, last night, before I got on the plane, he called me up, begging to come back to me. So there's all these emotions, these spiritual and emotional healings that take place as well. Uh, I really believe in that healing power of Lord's. So if it's about anything... It's about healing, this place. Uh, the sick are the elite at Lourdes, if you will. The whole shrine is geared towards the sick. It's amazing how they can accommodate sick people. It's just, it's just absolutely flabbergasting to see these, these, uh, these, they have these chariots that they've devised to bring sick people into processions and, and stretchers. And, you know, it's just, it's just amazing all the people who volunteer to help. And there are 11,000 people who volunteer at Lourdes every year. There's like a fraternity throughout the world. A lot of them are from Ireland and Italy and France, obviously. Say those would be the biggest countries. Italy, perhaps, it draws the most pilgrims. Uh, they say they control lords, actually. <laughs> Whisper. <laughs> they even built, the Italians built their own hospital of lords. It's called Unitalsi. They have these massive pilgrims every year. I had this interesting experience. Um, there's a confessional building, and the priests go in there, and there's confessional times, okay? And they end when the confessional time ends, because there's so many people that they just have to maintain this order and get the priests out of there after a certain hour. So they don't kick people out, but they lock the doors. And they have this big French guard there. He's got a brush cut, he's got a big gut, and he looked like a, a prison guard. Yeah. He would not let anyone through those doors after the... Uh, time, you know. And a number of times when I was leaving at 6 o'clock and to go to dinner, I'd walk up the doors and <laughs> this happened several times. There was a group of Italians arguing with them, trying to get into the uh, <laughs> confessional chapel and they arrived late. No, he won't let them in. <laughs> so, uh, but I heard the confessions on benches and things like that. Probably illegal confessions. I was <laughs> At any rate, um, you know, healing implies that we need to be healed from suffering, implies suffering, and uh, we need deliverance from that. And uh, so this grotto, in which Our Lady appeared in 1858, has become, as I said, the most visited shrine in the entire world. And so that's evidence that the need for healing is massive. Obviously, anyone who's lived a little while knows that you know, we need healing. Everyone needs it at some degree or another. So, as if by way of emphasizing that, Our Lady chooses Bernadette. I think Bernadette was the, she's really the perfect visionary for this, this apparition. Little Bernadette was a shepherdess. She suffered. Bernadette Subiru is her name. Write down her name. Hi, Bernadette.
gotten sick when she was younger. There was a plague that went through the, the lords and left her long scars, so she was always suffering with her breathing problems, um, asthma, asthmatic attacks. So, uh, and, and to add to the distress of her, of her situation, uh, her family was in poverty. Her father had once been a successful owner, but uh, one thing led to another, and it ended up very poor. And you probably heard that they ended up living in the, in the little town jail called Le Cachot. That was the only place that they could afford, and, and it was a kind of a dank, unhealthy place, and it burned that. It was not a good place for someone with breathing problems. So her parents decided to send her off to uh, her wet nurse, the woman who had been her wet nurse, in the nearby town of Bartrez. Did any of you who've been, have any of you <coughs> went to Lourdes gone to Bartrez? It's a beautiful, if you ever go to Lourdes, you have to visit. It's about six kilometers away, probably closer, about three kilometers away. It's a little village, which still is kind of untouched. Most people don't go there, they don't even know it's there. Um, and you can walk. There's a little path called the Chemin de Saint-Bernadette, and you can walk through the fields and past the cows, and just like Bernadette would have done. But Lourdes is pretty built up right now. It's, it's the only city in France with more hospital beds than Lourdes' parents. So, and there's only 15,000 people who live in Lourdes. It's a crazy place in some ways. But anyhow, you could go down this path and visit the little town where she, was, where she lived with her wet nurse, and the same family owns the house. Can see it. You know, it's a little museum, and also uh, nearby there's a little there's a meadow with a, with a like a a barn for the sheep called La Bergerie. It's a little sheep house, and Bernadette spent a lot of time there in solitude. You know, you can imagine if you're a shepherdess, you're not with other people who sheep. Uh, sheep are always getting into these apparition stories. You know, <laughs> the Bible. You know, about sheep. Uh, so Bernadette was there until uh, February 8th of 1858. And so at that point, on that day she decided she, had, she wanted to go back to her family, so she walked back to Lourdes on that path that you could still walk. And this was three days before the veil between heaven and earth was drawn back, so to speak. She had the apparition, the first apparition at the grotto. She was called back, so to speak. When she saw the, uh, the Blessed Virgin, she didn't identify her as the Blessed Virgin. You probably know that for, to, towards the end, almost it was a third to the last apparition. What she described was, she said she saw a lady, a young girl actually, of 16 or 17. Usually the statues make her seem older, but Bernadette said she was young. And uh, she was clothed in white, the blue sash, the rosary yellow flowers on her feet. And one of the tantalizing things about Lourdes is that a lot of times the lady didn't say anything. And Bernadette, uh, one time she didn't show up. Not Bernadette, but our lady didn't show up. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think that's important because these apparitions don't fit into, you know, God's grace doesn't fit into a formula. So we're always asking, you know, why does God allow this and not Well, how do you explain that? Apparitions are kind of hard to get your head around. So, you know, why this 18 and, you know, why all these, all these things about it? I believe that uh, somewhere the lady identified herself as the Immaculate Conception, which is the title of the Yeah, she certainly did. That didn't come until this, the third to last apparition. Right, right. 
Yeah, definitely. This is the Lord is about the Immaculate Conception. But at first there was no identification. And uh, as if by way of teaching Bernadette what the future would be, Our Lady, but Bernadette was paralyzed with fear at first. And she just knelt down and she said she tried to make the sign of the cross, but she couldn't. She was too, too paralyzed. And then Our Lady made the sign of the cross. And Bernadette was then allowed or, or enabled to make the sign of the cross herself. It's almost as if you know, to begin the apparition, she was having the cross imprinted upon her being, you know, the sign of the cross. And the cross was really her life. She really lived the cross. She suffered until the day she died. And she died young at 36. So I think that's a very important thing to consider that that happened in the first. Her fear went away, and she was imprinted with the cross. How old was she? She was 14. She was 14. Um, what was the cause of her death? I'm sorry? The cause of her death. What was the cause of her death? Oh, she died of uh, tuberculosis, oh. and she had uh, tumors. She might have had cancer. She had a horrible tumor on her leg. So, uh, you know, another thing people don't realize when they go to Lourdes is that there was another apparition previous to that. There's an apparition shrine from the Middle Ages, just three kilometers down the road, maybe a little more. I had my kilometers mixed up. I think that was six kilometers away. It's called Betaran. If you ever go to Laura's, you should make the trip to where no one goes there anymore. It means a uh, good branch in the dialect of the area. And it was the Lord's, it was the most important shrine in France uh, at one time. Bernard had gone there in pilgrimage. There was an apparition there where someone was, one of the peasants was being swept down the stream. The same stream that goes through Laura's goes right by Bethlehem. And the, the peasant was being swept through the stream, drowning, and suddenly there's our lady holding out a branch. She was holding our, our Lord as an infant, and was holding out a branch, palm branch, and the person was saved. And there's a saint in this town, too, the, the tomb of a saint. At any rate, so the, uh, to get back to Lourdes, Bernadette had been there, um, and, and so she gets back to Lourdes. Three days later, she's, she goes off to uh, gather wood with some of her, her sister and a friend. And then she has the apparition. The apparition begins with a gust of wind, like the Holy Spirit is moving in. Two times. There was no wind, and she, that's, she caused her to turn around. And what was that? About twice. And the second time, she turns around, and then she sees Our Lady. Okay, well, she didn't call Our Lady. She, she consistently referred to her in the dialect. She had this, this word, akero, which is sort of like saying that, that divine thing, that, that sort of, un, un, she wasn't sure what to say, what, what she saw. She said she described a, a lady, but she didn't identify it as Mary, the apparition. And the second apparition, uh, which was four days later, Bernadette brought holy water and, and threw, threw holy water on the, on the apparition <laughs> just to make sure she had her faces covered, you know, which is a good instinct. And Our Lady only smiled at it, you know. And we know it's a lady, so I'll refer to it that way. And then at the uh, third apparition, the words began to be spoken. And at first, Bernadette, uh, she, you know, Bernadette was very pure and simple and and uh, it was one of the things that baffled people about her because no one could really fluster her. 
you know, and she'd say the most the, the things that were so innocent, like, um, well, anyway, she, at the set, third apparition, she brought a, a, a tablet and, uh, and a pen, and she tried to get her lady to write her name. <laughs> and then the lady, our lady didn't do it. She said, and then, and then she said to Bernadette, would you have the goodness to come here for 15 days? Um, that's important because, well, first of all, it was the invitation. It was a very polite request, and she used the formal form of, of you. You know, in French, there's there's two and vous. she didn't, vous is the formal, but she, she she was speaking in dialect. The dialect had a it had a um, a corresponding formal form like that. Um, the dialect, by the way, is called Bigorden. This is the language our lady spoke. Bigorden, which is a sub-dialect of uh, Occitan. You might have heard of uh, Provençal, yeah. or Gascon. In the southern France, there's another language. And some people still speak it, you know, but there's sub-dialects of it. Uh, so that's what Bernadette's language is spoken in a very restricted area. And so uh, and she wrote down the apparitions in that book or den. She, she described it. She, there's, there are a number of te written testimonies also to the apparitions, which is important. Uh, because we had documentary evidence of it right from the time of Bernadette. It's not something that had to be written down years and years later. The first testimony was actually written down while the apparitions were happening because the police commissioner uh, unwittingly played into the hands of the Blessed Virgin and called in Bernadette and said, I want to hear what you say. You might have heard this story. He tried to scare her, so he wrote down. He sat her down. He wrote down everything that she said. We still have that. So he played right into the hands of Our Lady because we need the documentary evidence. We can compare what the police commissioner, who's an enemy of the apparitions, wrote with what Bernadette said in other places. So there's about six or seven written testimonies from the time of Bernadette's life, <coughs> all corresponding. But it's interesting to line them up because they sort of correspond the way the, uh, the Synoptic Gospels correspond. <coughs> you can sort of see there's something human here. It's, it's not like a Bernadette was, it wasn't like some, something that was dictated to her in some spooky way or something like that. She told the story next time she, she kind of described the words and the bigger than dialect wasn't uh, frequently written, so you know there was little variations, but always saying the same thing, like the uh, like the gospel writers. Uh, so she uses this form, the formal uh, expression, uh, the formal dress for Bernadette. It must have been the first time in her whole life anyone ever addressed her that way. I mean, you would use it for someone who's older than you, or someone who's uh, superior than you in some way. Bernadette was very humble. She was a little girl. And first of all, and then she was kind of from a very humble family. I can't imagine anyone speaking her to, to her that way. So, you know, what is there in that for us? It's as if uh, Our Lady is, is showing us the honor with which heaven regards the poor and the humble. I think it's, it's very beautiful. And when, she, when Bernadette told, when she repeated the words, people were like, what did, she said she used she spoke to him that that way. They were all surprised or taken by it. The, the word actually yeah, this is probably detail. I'm not interested, but uh, 
It would, would you, Boulet, it would be Boulet in French, right? Finally, um, as Bernadette walked away, <coughs> she shared with the people pressing in around her that her lady had said something quite momentous for her personally, and that was, I cannot promise you happiness in this life, but in the next. Can you imagine being a 14-year-old girl and getting this message from heaven? I think of your average 14-year-old. I mean, how would Britney Spears have taken that? <laughs> but at the same time, Bernadette was not saddened at all. She, she bounded away from these apparitions. She was ecstatic, really. And it's as if her, her, her ailments and her frailty were dissipating. So, I mean, she, she was a, a person who had known suffering her whole life. So in a way, she was probably tougher than your average person. But she must have had, had hopes for a, a happy future, you know, getting, falling in love, getting married, and having children. That was all probably part of her normal desires and dreams. Um, so you can imagine how she took that. I, I, think, that's very, I think this is very important, uh, folks, because... Because the, the people who go to Lourdes or have gone to Lourdes since then will always have Bernadette being held out as the example of how to deal with suffering. And God really doesn't promise us. I mean, is it happiness in this life something that any of us are promised? I mean, what is happiness anyway? I mean, I suppose you're happy when you go to the amusement park for a couple hours. Um, and we want real happiness, which is more like joy. You can have joy even when you're suffering. That's kind of what a mature Christian understands and should be going for, but happiness is so fleeting. And we know that this world is a valley of tears. I don't think I'm the only one who's figured that one out. <laughs> okay, so, so you have Bernadette. I mean, if you, if you convert, if you go to Lourdes and you had a conversion experience, or any of these shrines, or any, however you have a conversion experience, you still have to live after that. It's not enough to have the, the, the conversion experience, right? I mean, there might be converts here, I know I kind of had a reawakening when I was in college, and, and you know, the people often have this experience of all the nice feelings and all that. It goes along with kind of discovering the faith and the hope that comes with that. But then you have to live the rest of your life. And you know, even the saints talk about these periods of darkness, of the dark night of the soul or the spiritual desert. So you have to live through that. So Bernadette's great for us because Bernadette is the, the witness. Yeah. The witness of Lourdes. And she authenticates those, those apparitions, in a way, by the integrity of her life. That perseverance that she had until the very end. So she's a real hero. She suffered greatly. And it was perplexing that the way she suffered, too, because people didn't always know she was suffering. And usually when someone suffers, you might have noticed this, other people notice. <laughs> 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 so anyhow, Bernadette didn't really exhibit any upset over it, uh, and she was, she was known for an irrepressible spirit and, and really spiritual maturity and great humility. Always, she was asking, "Why would Our Lady have come to you?" She had to go before the uh, a commission. Um, the, the bishop had set up a panel to investigate her. Not in a mean way, but they really had to find out what she was saying. So she had to go before a board established by the bishop with the bishop. And one of the inquisitors, if I could use the word, said, you know, why would Our Lady appear to you, someone, someone so lowly and, and 
and poorer. And she said, well, if there was someone lowlier and poorer, I'm sure they would have picked her. <laughs> Lady told her to go and, and and dig in the dirt, okay, to find this. There was that's where the fountain was, this, the, the, the spring. And at first, people didn't know what she was doing. And she started trying to drink the water. Our lady said, "Drink the water." There was you couldn't see a spring at the time. Bernadette dug and discovered it, and she was drinking this muddy water. She had mud on her face, and everyone thought, "Oh, she's she's nuts. She really is nuts." Okay. And then she started eating a plant that was in the, in the grotto. Our lady told her to eat the herb that she found there. So she picks this wild plant and starts eating it, and, it, and people were aghast. And, you know, this wasn't very tidy, you know. <laughs> apparitions should be tidier, shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> it should fit more nicely into her, her prayer books. But um, I, think, I think the plant, the eating of the plant, uh, harkens back to the eating of the bitter herbs that the, that the Jews uh, do, did and do so, I guess. But at any rate, she was asked about that too before the bishop. Why would Our Lady have asked you to do something so bizarre as to eat eat that plant? And she said, "Is it bizarre to eat salad?" That's <laughs> her response. You know, she just looked at it that very simply, you know. So. Father, excuse me. Yes. When do people begin to go with her? When do people realize that what she's going there for? Right away, within the first few times. She sees the lady. People from town go up to that area with her. Immediately they started going. The first apparition was witnessed by, by her, two others. By her friends that were playing. Yeah. She swore in the secrecy and they immediately told her. Bernadette's <laughs> <laughs> parents were opposed to it. Her mother, you know, whipped her a little bit to try and get her to snap out of it. And uh, the next apparition, there was there were some matrons in the town that immediately believed. They heard, and they went down there, and, and, uh, and so the crowd grew every time, okay. getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the crowd, crowd was really getting bigger. The crowds were huge by the uh, fifth apparition, and by the sixth apparition, that she was called into the police commissioner. Okay. So the crowds have just grown ever since. Um, but no one can see the apparition except yeah, no, the no, no one saw. No one saw. The so person. she's just like interacting with what. Appeared to They could see her in ecstasy, that's what they could see, but they couldn't see her lady. And she's the only one, you know. It's not like Fatima, there's other witnesses, and but they could see Bernadette. She didn't levitate, did she? In her ecstasy? She, she didn't levitate, but she did. There was an incident where she, her hand was in, in the open flame. She had a candle and she was just holding her hand like this. Like it, she sort of, it seemed like she sort of inadvertently stuck her hand over the candle. And there was a medical doctor there. In town, who was he was a good guy. He was a, a um, you know, he's dedicated to science, but he wasn't. He understood the limits of science at the same time, and he was a, an invaluable witness also to the initial cures. And she had her hand in this open flame for two whole minutes, and he immediately examined her hand. He grabbed it afterwards to look at it, and you know there was no burn. So he went back and said, you know, he told the other skeptics, and you know what, you know. It happened, all right. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that happened, and you can't really explain it away. Um, I mean, there, there, there is evidence. The fountain is evidence itself. How did she know that fountain was there, that, that spring? 
Um, let's see, where am I here? So I was talking about Bernadette. I, I kind of want to intersperse the apparitions with what happened to her. Um, the media were trying to discredit the Blessed Virgin at the time, too. Yeah, there was a lot of opposition to it. There was a lot of opposition to it because, as I said, it was embarrassing, and, and some of the uh, authorities in the town thought that this was a plot by the clergy, you know, to get the to whip up the the Catholics, which would you know be a royalist plot in the end. You know, they were the Republicans were opposed to that. The French Republicans, which aren't the same as what we have now in America. <laughs> so, but anyway, the apparition continued. At one time, she was she was kneeling there for 45 minutes, and they were waiting for this great message. And she stood up and turned around and said, "Penance, penance, penance," which isn't what everyone wanted to hear. She asked for prayers for the conversion of sinners. She kissed the ground at the Our Lady's request. In humility, people do that now at Lourdes. Uh, the fountain discovered, then our lady says she wanted a chapel built. So Bernadette has to go and tell the priest that she wants a chapel. And the priest was playing it hard. He was really being a hard, hard guy about it, hard-nosed about it, because he didn't want the church to be held up to ridicule if this was all phony. So he was, a, he was very stern with her, kind of scary. So... Uh, Father Pei Ramal, he was the pastor of the of Lourdes. And so she went to him and she had to go and tell him. She goes, she said, Father, um, you know, our lady, our lady wants people. Uh, she wants a chapel to be built. And he was like, Great, you know, where are we going to get the money for that? And who is this lady, anyways? Why don't you go ask this lady to, to go make the flowers bloom? Give me a sign that this is, you know, this is real. But they asked her to make the flowers bloom instead of winter. So Bernadette went back and and asked to have the flowers bloom, and her lady just laughed at it. And she wouldn't. And then Bernadette had to go back and said, Father, oh, she wants a procession, too. Father, we're so faced with the church, though. I mean, you know, you would think you'd be so skeptical. No, he had to. The priest has well, to be Well, I understand, but I used to could work with her a little bit and no. so snotty about it, you know? No. You'd be surprised when people have apparitions. Yeah. <laughs> some of the some of his vicars were very believing initially. Some of them even went there, but he didn't want them to go there. Well, yeah, had to play. It has to be carefully. He has to be careful because it could be a false apparition, or someone could be trying to set the church up for ridicule. At any rate, he he was a good priest, and uh, so he said, "I want to know her name. Tell this lady I want to know her name because he asked her who is it. People are saying it's the Blessed Virgin. Bernard said, "I didn't say it was the Blessed Virgin." Well, who is it? You want me to build a chapel for someone we don't even know who she is? I mean, let's, let's get with the program here. So, <laughs> so she goes, and you know, the famous uh, what you were just saying, Our Lady Bernadette comes back to the priest, and she had memorized what Our Lady said. She asked what her name was, and this was on March 25th, which was the Feast of the Annunciation. So she went back and she said, "I am the Immaculate Conception," and the priest. Stopped dead in his tracks. He said, I am the Immaculate Conception. And the priest, you know, he, 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 he really stunned him, you know, and he sat down and said, Do you know what that means? And she said, No, I don't know what it means. He says, Let me explain to you. So he explained the Immaculate Conception to him. He goes, Now do you understand? 
And she said, no, I, I still don't understand. <laughs> One of the reasons that this was credible is because she was known to not be very good at, at catechism. She wasn't very good at it. She even said herself it would be easier for her to balance the catechism on her head than to get the truths it proclaims in her head. She had to get her first communion. She had made her first communion. But at the time, the, not a lot of people know the title either uh, in that area. You can presume that she hadn't heard it before. And it wasn't invented. That's not a new title, but at the same time. So he really tried to cover the basin. Did one of the nuns tell you this? Did you hear it at home? You know, he kept asking her. Now, could she have been deceiving, deceiving um, him? I don't think so. One of the reasons why people didn't think she was deceiving anyone is because she was just consistently so pure and innocent. And um, you know, he said to her, "You know, why would Our Lady have uh, expressed it that way? It doesn't seem. It's not how we say it. We say Our Lady is immaculately, con Our Lady is immaculately conceived, or." Or however we might put it, Mary Immaculate, but we don't normally say, I am Immaculate Conception. And then he said, show me how she said it. They asked her this. What did she look like when she said it? Bernadette stood with them, she said, I am the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> He's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> The more you read about Bernadette, the more you love her because she's, she's just say consistently pure and innocent. She's just the perfect witness for an apparition. I'm very humble. I, I, I saw one of the movies that she was very, very humble. But very humble. Uh -huh. She was very humble. Very, very lovely. Um, so, and then that, was, that wasn't the last apparition. Uh, that her hand, the miracle with her hand that was burning was the next one. And then the last apparition, the last apparition, she had to be kneeling across the other side of the stream because the authorities blockaded off the, uh, the grotto. <laughs> you know, they tried to stop it by putting a fence up there. Does anyone know that story? The, the reason they took the blockade down was because the governess of the, uh, of the French emperor came to get some holy water. <laughs> the, the little heir to the throne was sick, and uh, they went to find this woman, the governess. It was Louis Napoleon's child who was sick. This would have been 1858. Yeah, yeah, 1858. And so she, the governess, went to uh, she went to the court, and then when they found out who she was, they're all embarrassed and everything. And then, then there was a. A telegram saying, take down the barricade by order of Louis, the, Louis Napoleon. So even the Emperor of France got involved with this thing. I mean, lady really got turned everyone upside down. There was a, um, I don't know if you've heard of Emile Zola. You've never heard of Emile Zola. He's a French atheist. And not, not the kind of guy you'd want to have lunch with. Um, but he, he went to Lourdes and he wrote this attack on Lourdes. It's called Lourdes. And so he was kind of the nemesis of Dr. Boisselry, that French doctor established the Medical Bureau. And in the book, he, he, he wrote things that were false. He was trying to discredit Lourdes. And one of the things was that he witnessed a woman who claimed to be cured, re relapsed. And the woman had this horrible deformity of her face, some sort of some skin disease or something that was eating away her face, and she was cured. She's one of the 67. His name, her name was Marie de Marchand. And so uh, 
in Paris, there was this sort of like a, a think tank, think tank in Paris called the Cercle de Luxembourg. And, uh, and Boissari was someone who could go to bed also, and Zola. And so Boissari arranged to have a talk on Lourdes at the Cercle de Luxembourg in Paris. And then he brought out, this was after Emile Zola had printed his, his claim that Marie de Marchand had relapsed into disfiguration. And Boissari had gotten Marie de Marchand to come with. And so he said, this is what supposedly he said, yes, Monsieur Zola, here is Marie de Marchand. She is cured, and she is beautiful in our sight. Yet there is a greater beauty in her that you do not see, could not guess at, a beauty which you did not have the least notion of, and that is her soul. So he really slam dunk Emile Zola. Was he converted? I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, the most amazing miracle was the uh, story of Pierre de Bruder. He was a Belgian whose leg he was crushed in a tree fall, and his uh, and one leg was shorter than the other. The consequence, and when he when he was cured, his legs were made the same length again. You can see his legs that he donated his legs after he died to to the museum and you can see that yeah. you can see the cracks in the leg too. But they're the same length. Uh, there's an interesting book on Laura's written by a uh, a secular Jewess, uh, Ruth Harris. I don't know if anyone has read this book. It's called Laura's Body and Soul in the Secular Age. I think it's subtitled. She's a, she teaches at Oxford. She's not a believer, but she, she I think she gave a pretty fair account of it, of, of Lourdes, and did a lot of research. Although she kept on trying to integrate it into fave, you know, the, the tradition of fables and visions and the Pyrenees. Uh, she was really trying to kind of, you know, kind of limit it to sort of some parapsychological phenomena or something like that. But she, she herself admitted that she was perplexed and baffled by some of the miracles. There's so many miracles, and they were claiming power of suggestion, and it's just, I don't know, you really have to have more faith to believe in these attempts at explanation than believe in the miracle themselves. You know, why can't you say it's a miracle? And it's a lot easier that way. So, but you see, in, Lourdes, in the area of Lourdes, in the Pyrenees, there were a number of apparitions throughout the centuries. Actually, Europe is full of apparitions. We, we kind of think of Lourdes, Fatima, Guadalupe, Nock, but there's a lot of apparition sites. And why wouldn't there be? Why would there only be a few? It says right in the scriptures that children would dream dreams and see visions. So it makes sense that in 2,000 years there would be some 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 action, you know. And uh, and so in the Pyrenees, it, there are a lot of apparition sites. I mentioned Betharam. If you go there and you have time, you can visit the other ones. There's Sarans, it's from the middle of about, about the 13th century, I think. Uh, there's, um, uh, there's a number of them. Uh, Garaison, which is, which is one of the big ones nearby, Lourdes. But over the centuries, uh, Lourdes, I think, came at a great time, you know, because it's, uh, it was an antidote to a skeptical age. It's, it's not something you can, you, you can't just say, well, this is a medieval legend. You can't say it. If you're an objective person, you have to admit the documentary evidence. That I mean, the fact that she made the claims, no rational person can dispute the fact that she existed, that she made the claims. 
We have plenty of documentary <coughs> evidence for it. So it's sort of interesting. It sort of corresponds with the uh, Christian apologetics. <coughs> you know, we have to prove that, show that Christ did exist, that he did make these claims, that there's documentary evidence, and you can do the same thing with Lawrence. And then there is the the overwhelming evidence of the miracles and the, res the response of people. Anyhow, so what happened to... Uh, does anyone have any questions? Should I end at 8.30? Well, it's, yeah, we're flexible, but yeah, if you want to take some questions, feel free. Okay, well, I, let me just tell you what happened to Bernadette. She ended up... The nuns in town took her into... They had like a hospice. You could visit this place still, and she stayed there until she was 22. And she was just working there, peeling potatoes and things like that. Simple jobs. And then she eventually decided to enter the convent. So she went to the convent, which is way on the other side of, of France, at uh, Nevers. Maybe you've been there. And uh, she never returned to Lourdes. She went to that convent and died there at the age of 35. So from 22 to 35, she almost died in the first year of her novitiate. And she was given last rites, and she became she professed her vows too on her deathbed. You can do that. Someone's dying, and then, and then she recovered. She had last rites three times, and she was always teetering like that. And she spent most of her time got to the point where she was spending most of her time in the infirmary. And so one of the other nuns said, "Well, it seems like your job is to be sick. <laughs> That's your job in the convent. Well, there's value in that, as as we know." It's a very spiritual job to have. It's a great. It's, a, it's the calling of a victim soul. So she suffered very well. For um, she united herself so closely to the sufferings of Christ on the cross. One of the other sufferings that she had to bear. Well, there were several things in the comment. The one is that the, the novice mistress didn't believe in the apparitions, and she was determined to make sure Bernadette didn't have spiritual pride. So that. She was kind of a stern nun who uh, kind of caused suffering for Bernadette. I don't think she was evil, but I think she was just stern, and she didn't have the grace to believe, but eventually she did. Uh, another source of suffering was the constant... She, she constantly had to come into the parlor and retell the story of Lawrence. She didn't want to do that. The mother superior was trying to protect her, so when she came to Lourdes, she called all the nuns came from the other commons and they had this big congregation and Bernadette told her story once and for all. And the mother superior said, This is be the first and last time because this girl has to live her life as a nun and she can't constantly distract. Well, it didn't really work out that way because the bishop would show up or some dignitary and she kind of break the rule. And at one point Bernadette was dying and they, a priest came in there and they they gave him permission to get her testimony one last time before she breathed her back, last breath. And so she'll hang her neck bit, trying to remember. And you know, just trying to concentrate on dying. She has to tell this story again. But she did it. And we have all those things. Was she a government? No, she was a, a sister of charity of Nevers in France. And you can go there. The convent's still there, the convent of Saint-Gildard. It's a very big, beautiful convent. but. It, there's only five nuns there now. Oh, Francis, Francis is in bad shape. Oh, so, did she ever do any writing? Yes, yeah, she did do writing. Yeah, and you can get get her writings. Her yeah. letters. So you can read all of her letters. Yeah. Yes. I was just going to ask if the other apparition sites are they as built up as Lourdes's? 
or they, uh, no. have, are they, you know? No. Well, Gary, uh, Ram is, is a pretty big, big, big deal. Yeah. If you go there, and it's a pretty significant church, and it's very interesting. I wanted to write down for you the, the words of Our Lady uh, in, the, in the dialogue. It's not really a dialogue, it's really another language, so people always refer to it as a dialogue. This is what Our Lady said. I am the Immaculate Conception. This is the. It doesn't seem like it would be if you know another language, but that's the. I, I am the. That, that I am the Immaculate Conception. And big or then. That's the language. It took me a while to figure out what what the language was, but I, I finally did. I, I met someone who spoke it. They could sort of understand what he was saying, and I couldn't, but I couldn't understand everything. At any rate, on April 16, 1879, at age 36, Bernadette breathed her last. She died a very holy death at the convent with her, with her nuns, her sister nuns around her. When they exhumed her body 30 years later, her body was exhumed three times, but it was found to be incorrupt. It's one of the most amazing incorruptibles that I've that I'm aware of, Bernadette. And has anyone ever seen that? Her picture of her body? I should have brought one, but her body was almost perfectly incorrupt. It was a dead body, but it wasn't hadn't rotted in and inexplicably because the, she wasn't embalmed and the casket itself was uh, moldy. Her clothes were were rotted. The rosary that she had in her hands had rusted out. Her body was still intact. She wasn't moral. They extracted her liver to see what the internal organs were like. Her liver was still supple. Um, all the hair and the nails, the eyes, everything was there. So you can go and see her. Now, now they put wax makeup on her now. But uh, where is where do they have? Her body is in the ver. It's at the convent. Uh -huh. So it's uh, it, it, France is sort of like this, <coughs> sort of like five sides. Paris is about here, and Lourdes is here. This is Spain, and then Navarre is right there. Quite away from Lourdes. It's far away, mm -hmm. and she only saw one of her relatives during that time. Her brother came to visit her. She kept a lot of great correspondence up with her family, though. Uh, but her mother and father died shortly after she left, and one of her sisters lost five children. There was a lot of problems, and she suffered a lot. She was very much involved in her family life by correspondence. Mm -hmm. One of her siblings opened a religious goods store in Lourdes, and she really got mad. <laughs> you can meet her relatives if you go to Lourdes. Her family is still in Lourdes. Uh, I met uh, one of the, what would be one of her great nieces. They, they run the uh, the house where the family ended up is still in the family hands and you can go visit it. But you were asking about the writings. Someone was asking about the writings. Yeah, you can find her writings. They're very beautiful. I read through all of her correspondence and you really get a, a nice sense of what her soul was like. Father, when she expired, did she acknowledge that the Blessed Virgin Mary was there? Or was that just... 
Hollywood. I think she did see that. Yeah, I think she did have a, have a final Fathers, do you what is the best uh, book that you can recommend? Um, there's a book called uh, Bernadette by Father Troshu. That's the author, Troshu. You get from Tan. That's a really good one. And there's another one called Bernadette Speaks. It's a, that, this might be the best one, actually. It's by Renee Lauren Tan. Renee Lauren Tan is one of the most famous Mariologists in the church. He did an exhaustive study in the 1940s of, of Lourdes in preparation for the 100th anniversary. He was commissioned by the bishop. It's like a seven-volume exhaustive study of all the documentary evidence of Lourdes. Kind of a theologically scientific corpus of writings, and I think you get a lot of that in the book Bernadette Speaks. T-I-N, sorry. Yes. From the very beginning, did her family believe? No. no. I think the siblings might have, but her mother definitely did not. Tried to beat it out of her, you know, but... So, so much of the, the family, isn't it? Yeah, it's so much of the family. Yeah. So why, why should we even go back after she was from two years old? Why didn't she go back? She spent her life in the convent, and, and actually there was a point when the mother superior was going to let her go back, but she was, she fell ill. She was always falling ill, you know. She's always sick. She'd be healthy for a little time and sick again. Were there a lot of shears at the... Uh, uh, she died on April 16th. 16th? Yeah, April 16th, 1879. Now, were there a lot of cures when when the when the spring started to spring? There were cures right away. Yeah, there were cures right away, and and uh, those early cures were very well documented. One of them was a little kid who was about to die, and you know his mother. He was he, the kid was dying. His, they portrayed this well in the movie. His mother just brought him to the grotto, plunged him in the water, and held him there for 15 minutes. It was cold water. Cold water. It's freezing cold water. If you go to Lord, the medical doctor had all the records that the guy was, the little boy was sick. He had, he had examined him over and over. So it was, you know, what's going on? There was another guy who was blind and he washed in the water, he was cured. And so there's, it's really interesting. You can get, you can read all about the, uh, the, the cures and everything. Everything's well documented. Yes. I'm, and I'm sure it's probably evident to everybody in the room but me, but what's the connection between all the healings and conversions? Because it just, you, we're talking about icons of conversion and everything like what? Well, the healing can be an occasion for conversion. But is it, or is it faithful going and being healed? I think it can happen both ways. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole spectrum. I mean, do you have to have faith first to be healed? Is that what the question is? No, that's not. I, I'm just. I'm kind of wondering when we're looking at Bernadette or we're looking at Lords. How can we? Why should I come? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to fit it in. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not push it too far. Like that. I, 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 people go there and have, and have the. You know, there are a lot of people who go there sort of with their relatives or for whatever reasons and have conversion experiences. So, and I think. I mean, 
Bernadette, in a way, is the one who made all of this possible because of her, I mean, obviously her Lord and, her, you know, granted her lady's apparition. But Bernadette is such an excellent testimony to the whole thing. And she lived such an authentic Catholic life in the face of adversity that I think she's, to me, she's like an anchor. Like, if she could survive this and live that way, it, it's, it helps keep me rooted when I think about her. Will you elaborate on your own conversion there? Uh, yeah, I can. Sure. Well, I didn't have a massive conversion when I was there, so it's very easy to elaborate on. <laughs> I was already practicing Catholic, but I just, I was out of college, and I, I didn't know what was going to happen in the future. I was sort of uncertain about my future, and, and I was backpacking around Europe, and I said, wow, well, we have to go to Lourdes. It was with my nephew. Kind of went there almost out of obligation. We didn't even stay for a day. We got there in the morning and left before the procession. And I just said, so long, yeah. Did you ask the connection? Miracle and conversion is very related to each other. When you see miracle, you're compelled to convert. Yeah. Mm. It just means that a lot of miracles happen in the Bible. And a lot of people it helps you to believe that they 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 miracles are more. Yeah. So, so what happened while you were there for that half day? I don't know. I think our lady was tinkering deep down in my soul. And a very slow process for me. I didn't get knocked off my horse ever or anything. <laughs> and my conviction constantly grew. The conviction about the truth of the faith constantly got stronger and stronger. And I kept on, I just feel this strong urge to go back to the Lord's. And I've gone back six times since then. So and I'm going to go back again. So it's great there. Yeah, you had a question. Yeah, um, in all of her writings, does she ever sort of lament that everyone else is being healed and not her? Or, that, or did she just kind of accept the... the our lady said, you know, you're going to have a life of suffering. Do you know what I mean? She, you said she's... I, I, can't, I can't recall any lament. I can't. Uh, I can't like, why am I not being... I can't imagine that she could. She, she just... Kind of goes against the whole saint. Why me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I know. Like, all these miraculous feelings, and here she is. Still suffering. But did you think they could have just... But Our Lady, remember, she did recall those words of Our Lady. That comes up in our writing. That Our Lady said, I cannot promise you happiness in this life. And she was so humble that I don't think she will ever think in that way. She was very humble, yeah. But not everybody in the coast gets converted. Yeah. Go again. But it, God's grace is so mysterious, you know. It's true. And many people can go and they don't get cured. They're very disappointed. I wouldn't go there asking. I wouldn't go there looking for it. You know, just go there, and I think what you could expect is, you know, Lord, strengthen my faith, help me to persevere in whatever my sufferings are, and yeah, because that's a good point. You shouldn't go there too credulous or too naive about, you know, it's, it's not a miracle factory, you know? right? Uh, yeah, you could go there with uh, the wrong attitude about it. But you do the number, the number is very few. They have like 7,000 documented with versus 6 million per year. That's a bit tiny. <laughs> they have an angel spinning the wheel. I'll say that my daughter and she went because everyone else was going. You know, she doesn't, in fact, she had gone to Europe and said she wasn't going to do all that nonsense. People were going, she went along, she'd been to Paris, they went down to Lourdes, and a woman was healed in front of her. 
And, and the witness, being a witness to something like that, she said the woman took off bandages and there were sores all over her legs. Yeah. They helped her get into the water. When she came out, her flesh was like a child's skin, completely oh clean. And my daughter was just blown away. Just blown away. So, you know. But I have friends in who were unhappy. That's too bad. I'm sorry. I wonder if part, I wonder if, uh, we got to end it, but I wonder if uh, we don't expect miracles to happen. I wonder if, we believe it theologically, you know, and it might be a problem if you study theology. Okay, I admit it, but there's all these complications, you know, doubts that come in. But if we really expect a miracle to happen, I know a woman who took her daughter there who had cancer, and she was not healed, and she died shortly thereafter. And her biggest job was to explain to the rest of the family, the rest of the kids. <clears throat> why my daughter wasn't healed. But I guess even if you get healed, you're going to die, so I think... <laughs> <laughs> it's true. What we should be looking for is, is the grace to persevere and die in the faith. Yeah. Just like Bernadette, that's why I think like, you know, people like, like uh, who go there and don't get healed, they always have Bernadette to look to. And maybe that's, that's one of the points I'm trying to make. Even if like this... <laughs> This person you're mentioning, well, Bernadette herself didn't get healed. It's not that essential. It's not that essential. It's, it's necessary for some, I suppose. But it's mysterious. Like, God's grace doesn't fit into a, a, a formula. But Sabatino has his hook out. Documentation of those that were here, that the 67 did not have faith or so to speak, you know, and they were healed? I think they were believers. I don't recall any. I think, all, I think they all went there and told them because they had believers. Focusing on all that. Okay. Two quick announcements I forgot to just give me just a second here. Uh, Henry brought his recipe for his pea soup they made uh, last week. If you want, if some of you ladies would like to take that. And then also, I forgot to announce next week, of course, is our last talk in the series, which I get to give, on St. Mary Magdalene. So bring your Bibles, and we're going to go through the, the account of the resurrection, okay, and study Mary Magdalene's icon of conversion. And my father uh, is going to be coming, hopefully, from California, so it would be a great honor for me, so I'd hopefully you all come bring a friend and we'll pack the house. And um, who's making soup? Me. Okay, so if you wouldn't mind just getting here a few minutes earlier, it's just seven ten maybe at the latest. And if anyone is willing to help Mon out to get here a little bit early with her, because Mon, I'm not going to be coming early that night because I have to bring my dad, and he's turning seventy five this week. So I don't want to bring him like two hours early and make him like prepare the stuff. So uh, if somebody could get here early, come back and talk to Mon, and you guys can work on that together. Okay, thank you very much, and hopefully I'll see you this. Saturday. Saturday for Salvation History and next Tuesday for Mary Magdalene. Right.